Good morning. Thank you. That's wonderful. Our scripture today, I'm going to ask us to do something a little different. You can do it with your eyes open, uh, but I'm going to ask you to do this as a prayer if you'd like to follow along. Uh, it's Psalm 145, and we'll share a little bit more about the background of this psalm in a little bit, but it's one of the greatest psalms uh, in terms of giving praise and honor to God. In fact, it is the only psalm of all of them that is entitled a psalm of praise. There are others that uh, were, in, were titled a psalm of prayer, but not the, uh, this is the only one that is a psalm of praise. And so as I read the scripture this morning, let's read this to, not together in unison, but uh, let's read it as, uh, as a prayer. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall, and lifts up all who are bowed and bowed down. The eyes of all to look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak of the praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. We have been talking about God our Father. The God who created all things. 
And we've looked the last couple of weeks at a number of God's attributes. But there is no more power-packed psalm that outlines those as Psalm 145. Now, all of you can identify this, that as children, sometimes one of the greatest struggles is feeling that they matter. And it's heartbreaking to see children that feel like they're not good enough, that they're not worth something. And we think that's just a children's thing. Oh, no. That is something that is for all of us. All our lives, we have revisited that question of whether or not we are worthy, whether or not we matter to somebody else, whether or not anyone cares. And that is a struggle, and it hurts, and it's hard. But we want to understand that we believe in the one that we know without a shadow of a doubt is worthy. Now, there was a story I want to tell you uh, to get us framed into the idea of how we judge something, something's worth. There was a man who loved old books, and he met a friend who told him that he had just thrown away an old Bible that he had found stored in the attic of his ancestral home for generations. He said, somebody named Guten something had printed it. <laughs> was it. Was it Gutenberg, the guy asked? Um, and he said, well, well, yes, I think it was. And, his friend, and he said, well, that Bible was the first, one of the first books ever printed. A copy of it sold for as much as $2 million. And his friend was unimpressed. He said, mine wouldn't have been worth a dollar. Some fellow named Luther had scribbled all over it in German. <laughs> that, of course, referring to Martin Luther, that, book would, that Bible would have been priceless. And he concludes that some people can know the cost of everything, but the worth of nothing. How we assess the worth of not only ourselves, but in fact, the only way that we'll understand our worthiness and understand how deep God's love is by exploring and looking at how great God is and how worthy God is of our praise. As we mentioned, David is not only the author of this psalm, um, but he tells us in this psalm a couple of general categories. He primarily tells us about God's, who God is and his character. But secondly, and we'll get to this later, he also tells us what our response to God should be uh, and our response to the character of God. And we'll look at that. Now, this was an acrostic poem. How many know what acrostic means? If something is acrostic, the first letter of every line starts with a different letter of the alphabet. So we have, in English, we would do that as the ABCs. 
In Hebrew, it was the ABGs because uh, it was uh, the uh, the uh, song or the the first one was Alpha and then Beta and then uh, and then Gamma. And so, in the Hebrew language translated, it would have been the ABGs. There were a number of psalms that used this. This was a common method of designing a poem or a reading because it would make it easier for children and each other to remember and help with the memorization process of it. Um, And so this was quite a common pattern, a popular way of constructing a psalm. Um, We already mentioned that that the psalm was uh, the only one titled The Praise of David um, but uh, but we also want to look at this, uh, look at this, how power packed it is with understanding who God is, and then listen to our call of response. Um, William Van Gemmeren uh, was a, is an author and a, and a speaker. He said that in Jewish practice, this psalm was was recited twice a morning, twice in the morning, and once. In the evening, the Talmud commends all who repeat it three times a day as having to, uh, a share in the world to come. In other words, in calling for it receiving salvation. I want to stop a second and do something that, um, and talk about four things. Uh, you notice in the outline of the brochure for the sermon series, Doug uses three big words, and uh, and I won't throw him entirely uh, out for that. Um, we all uh, agreed to it, and uh, we all certainly worked with the outline. But those three b- words are worth noting this morning. We it talks about being omnipotent, God being omnipotent, omniscient omnipresent, and I'm going to add a fourth one, sovereign. Omnipresence is the ability to be everywhere all at once. God is everywhere. His presence is everywhere. Omniscience is knowing everything. God knows all things. He has the power even to know the past and the future as well as the present. And God is omnipotent, which means that he has unlimited power. And my fourth one that I'll add is God is sovereign, which also indicates that he is the Lord over everything that he created, and he created all things. So there is a sovereignty. So he is sovereign in that he exercises his rule and authority as king over all things. So one would think, if God is all of these things, and uh, we looked uh, at, last last week we looked at scripture, um, and on the top of, on top of our God, knowing everything and having power and being everywhere and being ruled over everything, we know that that is an incredible list that is given. Now, I counted in this passage, and I'm going to give you this challenge, 
especially for younger ones, you go through and see if you, how many you can come up with. I counted at least 25 characteristics of God in this psalm. 25, that's in this one psalm. And there, I think, are a few more. Let's see if you can, can get them. And I'd love for you to come back to me and, and say, here's the number that I got in the psalm. But let's just say this. If God is this incredible, this amazing, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present, why is it so difficult for us to trust him? Why is it so difficult for us to take him at his word and to trust in his word and his goodness. If he is all these things, why is that such a challenge for us? It's a challenge, I think, because we struggle with doubts. We struggle with fears. Frankly, if we're honest, we struggle with it because of sin. And we struggle with it because it's not necessarily something we understand. We aren't everywhere. We don't see everything that happens. We don't understand the big picture. We don't understand the eternal picture, which one would think would lead us not to an insecure place, but to a place of recognizing this is why God promises to fill in the gaps for us. He'll take care of things. He will follow through with things. He will make things right. Maybe not in our time, but in his time. And to be able to trust that. His wisdom is not the result of our learning or experiences, but a demonstration of his greatness. And that, I think, is is worth noting because we tend to think that if we do all the right things or if we understand everything fully, that we will then be able to have a grasp and and an understanding that that somehow gives us more of the answers and control. And sometimes it's not the best thing for us to know. Sometimes it's not ours to deal with. And so um, we want to talk now about what the implication of God's worthiness means for us. How can we make this practical in terms of applying that? God is first of all worthy of our praise and our rejoicing that whenever we praise God, it, it doesn't, make, uh, doesn't make us more worthy as much as it brings joy. It draws us closer to God. So God is worthy of our praise and our rejoicing. And so when we praise and rejoice, 
It strengthens our confidence. It strengthens our courage to do God's will. When we sing songs like we just sang, it feeds us spiritually and it brings us closer to to trusting in God and it reminds us that God is the one that is worthy of our praise. And what it does is it reminds us of all that he offers when he didn't have to. He didn't have to show grace or to, he didn't have to send Jesus. He gave people plenty of chances. We talked about that last week about how the children of Israel got two weeks out of Egypt and out of the terrible slavery and bondage and then started complaining about this not being right and that not being right. And, and that's just the easiest thing that we can go to. And the reality is that when we praise and rejoice, when you speak out a praise to God, it's going to be very difficult to continue to harbor and continue to stay focused only on the storms that are circling around. It breaks through that. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that when we praise and we sing out and we offer to God something from our heart, even when we cry out in prayers of help, even that is an acknowledgement that we need God and something spiritually happens within our hearts. Something changes for us. Something happens where we are open to the Spirit of God moving and restoring and reminding us and strengthening us that God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is everywhere, and he rules over everything. It may not be in the moment, but in the moment what he does is he reminds us that there is something greater than us at work on our behalf. And so something happens, and it gets released in that praise, in that rejoicing. Doug has, has shared, I think, maybe I, I, I'm, you know, getting older, so um, can't always remember, but it was either in a conversation or one of his devotionals recently that he talked about praising in the storm, that concept of, of praising God in difficult times. And there is something powerful about that. And I know that I've shared before Stories of people that in their storm, they were struggling with it. In fact, um, there was a songwriter, I can't remember his name offhand, and he talked about a time in his music career where he went completely flat. He He couldn't write anything, nothing was coming, and he was depressed, and he was asking God questions like, why God, you know, why why aren't you giving me new ideas and being able to write songs. And he was struggling with that. And then he remembered the time where two of the disciples were in jail. And they overcame that. And they started singing in the jail. And the power of that rejoicing, the power of that praise had the ability to overturn it. And he suddenly bowed down in his heart and said, Lord, thank you. And his songwriting began again. And, but it was the power of remembering that we rejoice and we proclaim the goodness of God always because God's promises never, 
ever fail. And that's what we're called to as a people. We're called to, to lift up praise and to rejoice because our flesh and our heart fail, but God is the strength of our heart. We sing that song and our portion forever. It comes from one of the Psalms as well. He is our portion forever, not just now and even in the storm. And so God is worthy of our praise in a purposeful way. We rejoice, we pray, we thank God. First Thessalonians says this, uh, five, chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. And so there is a purposeful way that we engage God's presence. God wants to hear our voice. He wants to hear our words. He wants to hear our cares. He wants to hear our heart. And he wants us to enter into his presence. When you magnify God singing of his wondrous works from creation to the cross and into eternity, we invite him into our life in a way that changes us even if the circumstances don't. And that's the power of proclaiming in the face, proclaiming light in the face of darkness. Secondly, God is worthy of our trust in daily living. What is the biggest thing that shakes our faith? Most of it, most of it can be summed up in doubts and fears. Our faith gets shaken because we doubt, we fear, and it may be breaking news. I don't think it will be too surprising. We can't do it on our own. We can't. We're not able to. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We can't make it all happen on our own, which is why we are invited to cast our cares on Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 6 to 11 has some powerful words for us. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in what? In due time. Cast all your anxiety or your cares on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And we know that. We read the news. Our brothers and sisters in many lands are under great persecution. And, and all over, wherever the church rises up, there will be difficulty and there will be challenges to it but note this in verse 10 and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen from first Peter 5 You've all heard the phrase, you know, we need to let go and let God. It's just kind of an overused bumper sticker. Uh, is it? 
Or does it mean that we need to give up control and we need to recognize that we can trust in God? That's our task because God is worthy of our trust for everything that we go through in our daily living. Third, God is worthy of our trust to guide our relationships. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And that is something that we need to hear and need to practice. In an era and age and in a culture that is oftentimes filled with strong and demanding messages in, a, in an era that rugged individualism and strong, strong words of being your own self and, and no one taking my choices away from me. In the face of all of that, these words are very unpopular today. Humble and gentle, patient, and bearing with one another. When Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. When Jesus gave that, that was not for any given person in any given time. It was for always and forever, in every circumstance. You know, I see all these debates about who was the greatest. We see that in sports a lot. We see that in, in, uh, even in, in the music industry. You know, who was the greatest artist? Who was the greatest guitarist? And there are debates about that. Who was the greatest basketball player? Who was the greatest quarterback in football? And there's, there's all of that, that debate about who was the greatest and you're comparing you know, from one era to another era. And it's a different time, a different game. A lot has changed those factors. But people always get into that kind of comparison. Well, I'll tell you, look, there is only one goat. You know what a goat means, greatest of all time. There's only one person that was the greatest of all time. And that's our God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit. That is, that is there, there's only one goat, which is our God. And it is our God which calls us to a new commandment, a commandment that we are to love. And that is the characteristic. And that is why he is worthy of our trust in our relationships, in our families, our communities, our neighbors, our faith body we're called to that kind of love and God is worthy of our trust to guide that uh, because we know that we can't always be able to find the right ways and the right words fourth God is worthy of our trust for his strength and I already mentioned the verse our strength our, our flesh and our heart fails. We know that we are not perfect. That is why we're called to humble ourselves. We know that we aren't able to do 
what God can do and provide what God can provide for us. He gives us strength. Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's, that's Paul teaching the Ephesian church and the Ephesian Christians. And he goes on in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that is the, the end result of that is that Christ dwells in our hearts. And 1 Peter 4.11 says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be glory and power forever and ever. It's a call for us to speak and to love and to serve with the strength of God and to recognize we can't do that on our own. There's nothing we can say to make something effective. There is no sermon that can be preached that depends upon the skills and the ability of any preacher to, to, to preach. There is no teaching role that is, can be effective without God giving the strength and the making it effective in the leading of it. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. God wants to renew our strength every day, and he will as we turn to him. He goes on to say, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I'll tell you this. I used to run. If I ran today, I would stumble. I would fall. And believe me, my family has told me many times, I am a fall risk <laughs> about everywhere I go. Uh, and they, they try to keep me off of the ladder and uh, all kinds of ways to keep me from stumbling by just taking me out of the situation. Everyone stumbles and falls. That's part of the joy of humility is recognizing that while God is worthy of all these things and makes a difference, we are not worthy of these things which is what makes the grace of Jesus Christ so powerful, more than we can imagine. Instead of trying to spend our lives being worth something, what if we spent our lives being faithful? What if our energies came from, being, from living out God's word and, for, and, and, and being devoted to meditate on that word? I mean, when you go back to the passage, and it talks about the Lord is worthy of praise. The Lord, because of the Lord's mighty acts, his works, his awesome works, his goodness, his righteousness, his compassion, he is rich in love, slow to anger, good to all. Because of he is trustworthy, he upholds, he lifts up, he's faithful. Because of that, we are invited through Christ to lean into that and to basically be made worthy in Christ. 
That's what's so incredible. This God who has all these great things cares for you and I. Cares for us in a way that we just can't imagine. That in knowing all things, seeing all things, oh, power over all things, and yet he calls your name individually. And yes, he probably even knows your middle name. He knows us inside and out and loves us in all of our unworthiness. So instead of trying to be worth something, we need to allow the work of Christ on the cross, allow it, invite it to be what makes us worthy in him. And it is that that we're called to. There are at least 16 ways that we are also called to respond to God being worthy. We're to exalt God. We're to praise God. How many of you know what it means to extol God? Extol means to praise enthusiastically. And sometimes when people get a little too enthusiastic, sometimes when preachers get a little too excited in the pulpit, it's too much, it's too much, it's over the top kind of thing. And I would just tell you, we are called to extol God. Enthusiastically praying and rejoicing for who God is. We are to commend God's works to the next generation. We're to tell of God's mighty acts, speak of God's glorious splendor, meditate on his wonderful works, tell of the power of his awesome works, proclaim God's good deeds, celebrate abundant goodness, joyfully sing of God's righteousness, speak of his might, look to him, call on him, love him, speak in praise of an incredible God. That's the call of this psalm for us to respond. Notice that most of those have to do with verbal utterance. Now, not everyone is a great singer, but we're called to rejoice and rejoice in our hearts. And, and we're called to, to give and, and to uh, pass on to others what we know and have experienced in our praise of God. And so it is Christ that makes us worthy. Now, we started at the beginning with praise simply because of who God is. And in the end, we find out in the greatness of God, the compassion of God, the faithfulness of God, it still brings us back to who God is and how that makes a difference for our lives. So let's trust God more. Let's not waver in a clear biblical call to love each other, to speak God's goodness over each other, to honor God by trusting more, rejoicing more, speaking his love and grace and forgiveness and his awesome works over each other more. Let's dare to live different from the world, dare to sing a new song, dare to bless as we have been blessed, to dare to proclaim the work of Christ in his victory over death and evil, to dare to endure with faith in the one who is worthy. Isaiah 26 3 and 4 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord Himself, is the rock eternal. 
in the book of Revelation that says that when the lamb took the scroll from the right hand of God, the first reward for his worthiness was worship. And all living things fell down before the lamb and worshiped the one, the only one who made it possible for them to be part of the kingdom of God and to be in God's presence. You want to look that up? Look that up in Revelations chapter 5, verses 6 to 14. I won't take time this morning to read that, but it's worth a read of recognizing that in heaven, there will be praising and rejoicing and singing and great, great joy. I think it's important that we note the fact that they worshiped with a new song. Songs have sometimes been a problem for the church. We get locked into certain songs. In fact, I'll close with this story, and then I've got a surprise for you at the end. Uh, One Sunday after the morning worship service, this kid named Isaac Watts started complaining to his father about how dull and lifeless psalm singing was in the church. His father said, Well, if you don't like it, give us something better. Well, Isaac went home, opened his Bible to Revelation 5, and put this new song of heaven into his own words. This is what he wrote. He wrote, Behold the glories of the Lamb amid the Father's throne. Prepare new honors for his name and songs before unknown. Thou hast redeemed our souls with blood and set the prisoners free He has made us kings and priests to God, and we shall reign with thee. That new song was sung at the very next service in the Southampton Church. It was so well received that they encouraged Isaac to supply more new songs. That began his career. The father of English hymnology. The new song of heaven inspired the new song on earth, and it changed the whole history of singing of the saints on earth. Heaven's praises have had a wonderful, powerful influence on earth. For Watts, Isaac Watts, many of you know this, went on to write over 700 hymns, and after him, many more began to write them. Let's sing a new song. Let's sing a song that reflects the glory and worthiness of God. And I'd like to invite the team to come up. And I have put the team on the spot by asking Jeff if he would lead lead us in praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's a song that is not new to us, but it's a song that reinforces the praise and rejoicing of God. And out of this May there be two, three, even who begins to write a new song. Maybe you go home today and start writing words that scripture calls you to and that God inspires you to. But let's, uh, before we do our, our other closing song, I think it's fitting to end the message with this song of praise. Would you stand please?